We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Thank you. This is Johnny Rabbit at your service in KMOX. A 36-page article in the November 1965 issue of National Geographic magazine told about St. Louis from the perspective of an out-of-towner who presented a very glossy view of our town, pure PR puffery, glowing terms, of course. And the piece started out this way. We drove west from the river through the choke streets of downtown St. Louis, making slow headway, slower even than the ponderous barges creeping upstream against the Mississippi Strong Current. Soon after we crossed busy 12th Boulevard, the scene suddenly changed. Before us lay a wasteland, a vast expanse of desolation, block after block of rubble in the heart of the metropolis. His driver, a newspaper friend, stopped his car, waved out the window, pleased at the destruction, and he said, we're taking St. Louis apart and putting it together again, surveying the debris. This, he added, is a great improvement over what used to be right here. The writer continued, they'd found themselves in a great swath of cleared land, treeless and bleak, tumbleweeds, bounded across it, worried by the wind. They were in Mill Creek Valley. His companion went on to say, this was our worst slum. It had the city's highest crime rate, the highest incidence of disease. Two-thirds of its buildings lacked running water. When we demolished it starting in 1959, we fought rats every inch of the way. He said today, this was 57 years ago, Mill Creek Valley is the largest urban renewal project of its kind in the country. 454 acres. Come back in a few years and you'll see a near miracle. Nowhere in this non-objective fantasy that they talk about the long and rich history of Mill Creek, about the thousands of people who called it home. They didn't tell about the families who were basically evicted with no voice in their futures, no guidance, little notice, barely any financial help. The concept was that of a scorched earth policy with little more than a handful of buildings saved. Granted, many structures were old and not in the best of shape. Many others were worth saving. The people were worth saving. Just as much as the extensive neighborhood itself didn't get to be need to be wiped out, which it was, in the name of progress, there were hundreds of businesses, dozens of churches, several theaters. There were schools done away with, a firehouse, a police station, all in the name of urban renewal. That included a highway. But the human element was not even an afterthought. Families, friends, a community almost exclusively African-American were torn apart, displaced, and left in so many cases with very few choices of where to go, where to live, all in the name of urban renewal. 
and then they were forgotten. Forgotten, that is, until the release of a touching and endearing memoir by Vivian Gibson, who lived for years on Bernard Street with her family in that now erased neighborhood. You probably have noticed the Bernard exit on I-6440 east of Grand. Easy to see that nobody's living there anymore. Vivian's book about growing up so close and yet so out of sight in the days of segregation is worthy reading for every St. Louisan. It's called The Last Children of Mill Creek. And to tell us more about what is in the book, what does it reveal, Vivian Gibson herself is right here in the KMOX studio live with me right now to share some of the way it was. Wow. Vivian, were you expecting that people would take to the book the, the way that they have? I was surprised. I uh, I wrote this book really thinking I was writing a book for my family. Mm-hmm. Um, a publisher noticed it, and um, long story short, a, a publication agreement was reached, and the book was just... I, I don't even know how to explain it. It's almost three years now. I've been talking about this book constantly uh, for the last three years, and we're in our second printing, headed, headed for our third printing, and people are just fascinated by the book, and it's a wonderful surprise for me. Well, it's a great surprise. It's a great book, and just uh, like uh, Valerie Shrampan, who was here, you know, said she has... Didn't get the book yet, but she has read the book. A friend loaned her the book, and she wants to get it. And that's it with everybody I show this book to. They start reading it, and it's, and it's not some 700-page book, and it doesn't cost $50 to buy. It's a reasonable price. What is the price I see in the back here? Sixteen ninety-five, mm-hmm. 158 pages, I believe. But it is packed with this great life, with these great memories that, that you lived. Yes. You you were there. What? Where was there? I mean, there are people who say, what the heck's Mill Creek Valley? That's what always, is that? Sorry, I stepped on you. That's head. okay. It's, that's always the first question. Where is it? Where was it? Because there's nothing there anymore. Yeah. Where's there? It's um, basically the redevelopment portion or the urban renewal portion was from Grand going east to 20th Street, which is just about Union Station. Mm-hmm. Uh, the railroad tracks on the south and um, I guess Olive Street on the north. Some people said it go. It went as far as Washington. Some people said it went on the other side of the railroad tra- tracks to Shoto. Uh, but it was along a creek that doesn't exist anymore either, which is what the name comes from, Mill Creek. Sure. Um, which was the heart of the city, and the city grew up around that creek. And so it's there's nothing there. Only four buildings were not demolished. Uh, Berea Church, which is still hard to see because it sits back um, from a really big parking lot. On Olive. On Olive. Mm-hmm. Um, Vashon High School, which is now a part of Harristow State University. There was a laundry that has a very beautiful architectural feature. Maybe that's why it was, say, Dinkin or something like that. And then a flower factory. So I don't even understand why those two even were saved, except somebody knew somebody, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, that facade of that uh, that one company that you mentioned on yeah, Olive Street. Yeah. Uh, the reason it got that wasn't the original facade of the building. Oh. It, Olive Street was widened, mm-hmm. and it took away the front of the building. And the city said, "Well, since we're taking part of your building away, we will redesign it the way you want it." So whoever owned it put in that. It's a beautiful. So it got facade. to stay and it got, got to, to stay. be redesigned. Yeah. That's very interesting. <laughs> Four buildings out of Four how buildings. many? How many buildings? Something would you like say? eight thousand buildings. Oh my gosh. 
20,000 people, oh. of which I was one. Yeah. You were there. Yeah. You were there with your family. And, I was there. Uh, is the uh, exhibition and your family, the Ross family, still at the History it's Museum? It's still at the History Museum. It was supposed to be a permanent exhibit, and, and permanent is five years at a, at a museum. Oh. It's been, they've renewed it four times. It's been there. It's very popular, and it's called the Ross Family Exhibit on the second floor, um, and it is interactive. So you get to hear stories from all of my siblings about what it was like to be a child in Mill Creek. So I've been talking about Mill Creek for a long time before this book even. Well, I bet you have because yeah. Yeah, and people started to listen. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. A little late, but nonetheless. Yeah, can't uh, do much about it except no. know the history. Hopefully right. we won't repeat it. Oh, wouldn't that be terrible? Yes. And I was just doing last week, I did mention earlier, I did a bus tour, a ghost tour of St. Louis mm-hmm. for the Missouri Historical Society. And we were talking about, I was explaining about Mill Creek and mm-hmm. about the Kosciuszko and the LaSalle developments and how these things are just, they, they just mm-hmm. tore them down. Just got this, yeah, but they were much everything. smaller than Mill Creek. Uh, oh, yeah. Mill Creek was big. Yeah, 20,000. That's a lot of people to displace. And there was a lot of talk about how bad it was and how and, and that it was a slum. The, the interesting aspect of that is that in 1947, when the city wanted to pass a bond issue to tear it down, it failed because of redlining and restrictive covenants. There were a lot of places that black people could live, and mostly white St. Louisans rejected that bond issue. Between 47 and 54, when it did finally pass, they built Pruitt-Igo housing projects mm-hmm. and set out on a real campaign to just convince people that this was a slum that deserved to go with little respect or regard for the people who were living there. The rats they talk about, the... Uh, Lack of indoor plumbing, first of all, is exa- the rat's not exaggerated, <laughs> uh, but the indoor plumbing was because two-thirds is just not true. That, yeah. that didn't happen, but that was part of the whole propaganda to yes. make people feel like, yes, it has to go. And, and regarding the rats, the services weren't there. I mean, the garbage wasn't picked up. If you many people had to burn their garbage because there oh, was no yeah. regular. So I, and another big surprise is that. More than 80% of those homes, those dwellings, were owned by white people. Oh, that, they, okay. They were they renters. They weren't they the were owners. Renters. Those were poor people for the most part. There were very, because of restrictive covenants, There, it was a mixed neighborhood in terms of poor people, working poor, and well-to-do black people. So there were some sections that were very, very nice. Mm-hmm. And others that were people were struggling, and then others were just tenements that were owned and people rented and they weren't kept up. And so there's enough fault to go around for why it was a slum, and no one talks about how it became a slum. And the newspapers were promoting progress That's or decay. Right. That was those are the big both of, right. started in the Post and the Globe Democrat picked up on that. Yeah. And I was reading also in that article in National Geographic, they went on to talk about the wonders of Gaslight Square mm-hmm. and all of the beautiful architectural elements. That came, which out they said. Right, exactly. came out of Mill Creek. Exactly. From Mill Creek Valley. Yeah. yeah. You talked about the churches. There were 42 oh. churches. And this was one of the older 
parts of the city. So a lot of those churches were former uh, white congregations. Mm-hmm. And so they were beautiful churches with chandeliers and, and organs and just wonderful stained glass windows that went right to those antique shops on, on, on Gaslight oh, yeah, Square and yeah. on Euclid that they took out. As people moved out, people came in and took all those those beautiful features. He used to clean the pews at a church, I understand. Well, yeah, my father was the janitor of a church that we attended. He was also the choir director hmm. of the church. He was also he also worked for uh, St. Louis Public Service, which was the predecessor to Bi-State and Metro. Yeah. Uh, so he that was his only job. I, I found him in the 19... 19- 30, no, 1940 uh, census, and he was already working there, and he died while he was still working there. That was his only job, except for all these part-time jobs because he had sure. eight children. Oh, so he had three yes. jobs. <laughs> Vivian, we'll be back in just a okay. moment. Vivian Gibson, she's written the book, The Last Children of Mill, Mill Creek. Now, there is a book I really totally recommend. If somebody wants to get a book about St. Louis, that's the book to get. We'll talk more with Vivian here. This is Johnny Rabbit at your service on KMOX. This is Johnny Rabbit. We're at your service talking with Vivian Gibson, her book, The Last Children of Mill Creek. And we've been talking about that mysterious place where a lot of people call Mill Creek. And one of the big things that we've got to get rid of Mill Creek is we've got to have this highway go through somewhere. And that was maybe the easiest place for them that they could get by and and, and tear down all of those places for Highway 40, mm-hmm. now I-6440. Uh, and was that was that the main reason for all well, of that? Well, that was the main reason given, but you can imagine, and even now, that highway is about a half mile wide mm-hmm. along the southern strip, but they tore out 464 acres, six or seven or eight blocks even north of there. And so they could have probably put in the highway and tore down a th- maybe a quarter of the houses that, that they did. And so, but that was the main reason that... They were building yeah, a highway, sure. and uh, white people took that highway west, and the city died. Yeah. <laughs> I got out of the city, got out of town. We're headed west. Yeah, right. Now, a few weeks ago, Vivian Gibson was a participant in a presentation we did at the Missouri History Museum uh, called Midtown to Mill Creek, and people really are still raving about your part of the program. And just a week ago, you were part of uh, St. Louis TEDx, TEDx. Uh, event. Or What is TEDx? Well, it's a, a series of speakers who and leaders who speak on one good idea, uh, and they. Uh, it's a wonderful experience. TED, as you probably all know, means stands for technology, entertainment, and something else. Something else. Uh, I'm sure it is. Yeah. <laughs> something else with a D. <laughs> uh, but it uh, d- development or something like that. I'm sorry, I should have written that down. Uh, but it's a great opportunity for individuals to speak, and it's usually uh, on YouTube and on the TED Network, which and TED is a huge national company that uh, started, oh, well, maybe 30 years ago with very prominent speakers. Wow. But now they have local, and that's what the X stands for, the, the, the local mm-hmm. uh, events. And so it was great, and I, I got a chance to talk about, and my idea was, the power of storytelling to change our lives. And I talked about um, telling stories about Mill Creek and how this book has really gotten people to 
better understand what happened during that time to those people and the fact that we were simply erased. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. That was very true. Now, where did where was the talk held? It was at uh, the Kirkwood Performing Arts Center last Saturday night, and I had my first grocery store sighting yesterday. Someone said, did you do a TED Talk last week? It was great. So that was pretty fun. Oh, that's terrific. Has that been recorded? Can people see that? It will be recorded, and you can see it on TEDx. No, TED.com. TED.com. Yeah, so it was just done. It will be probably another month before it's up, but they're very popular. Now, here, if you want to uh, replay what we have just done, you can uh, do it on our podcast, KMOX.com. What is that, slash podcast or some such thing? We'll find out from our producer. Yeah, no, there's a separate podcast section on KMOX.com. You'll go to the podcast section and then find uh, At Your Service, and it should be up there uh, both hours of the show today. Good. Good, good. Well, that's just something if people want to torture themselves more. <laughs> they, they didn't have enough. They've got to hear it again. I'm, please do so. I, I, I think I'll listen to it myself to see what it sounds I will like. I too. Oh, well, we've talked a lot about the past, but what about the the future? Are you going to do another book? Or Well, that's the, that's the big question. And my publisher, especially after this TED Talk call, emailed me right after and said, okay, we have to get started on this next book. Oh. So... People are very interested in my life because at the end of this book, I'm only 27 years old. Uh And so there's a lot of interest in that. But I'm also a pretty uh, avid cook, and I do a lot of posting about food and cooking on Facebook and Instagram. And so we're thinking about the next one being a combination of essays about my life after um, Mill Creek and how cooking was involved in it. So it might be an essay at a certain period in my life, and maybe I'll talk about what I was cooking Mm -hmm. at that point or or my food experience then. So we're not sure. What did you used to keep in the back of the stove? Always in a can back there. What was it? Bacon grease. And Ah. I actually still keep, it's not in a can, it's in a nice container, and I put it in the refrigerator now, but it Ah. never was in the refrigerator before. But no, that was like the poor person's butter. Yeah, right. (laughs) And you could use that for a lot of things. A lot of things. It has a lot of flavor in it. Now, what do you cook today? What do you have, a specialty or a type of food? Oh, no, I cook all kinds of foods. I posted uh, just this week... um, Chicken sog, an Indian uh, curry, hmm. um, and people were very, very curious about that. And and this morning I posted um, eggplant parmesan because oh. I was at the Indian grocery store and they had these beautiful little um, eggplants. So I bought some kind of in impulse, and uh, so this morning I got up and made eggplant parmesan. <laughs> Do you leave the skin on or take it off? Well, when these were tiny ones, oh, so that's very tender. Yeah. But even the large ones, I kind of do a stripe and I leave a little bit of the skin mm-hmm. on because there's some interesting flavor and texture that comes oh, from, sure. from that's, the that's skin. That's true. Guess who's out of time? Us? It's, oh, no. Us, we are. Uh, it's a shame, too. It but is a shame. So nice of you to be here. Thank you. I hope people will buy this nice gift for Christmas. This oh, is a I great do. Christmas gift. I do, people. too. It's The Last Children in Mill Creek. I hope you'll come back again, Vivian. Thank you. I'd love to. Thank you. Vivian Gibson is our guest. This is Johnny Rabbit. We're going to Washington, D.C. or nearby for a visit with CBS White House correspondent of the past, Peter Mayer. He's going to be here in minutes on At Your Service. This is Johnny Rabbit. We're at your service, and I've got a guy right here on the telephone with us. He couldn't make it in because he doesn't live right around the corner. That's Peter Mayer. Hello, Peter. Hey, it's great to be with you, my friend, because you are the voice of St. Louis. (laughs) You're very kind. 
Uh, it's very nice of you. Give me your home address. I'll send you the money. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm sure many, maybe all, of our KMOX listeners may wonder, whatever happened to CBS Radio's White House correspondent Peter Mayer, who was heard in CBS Network Newscast, and before that on NBC and Mutual, how many years in CBS? Uh, close to 20. Mm-hmm. And before that, the other networks? Uh, so a total... uh, 23. Oh 23 with the other networks before they, they went off into uh, radio heaven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Peter is from Granite City, but he's not there anymore. You live near the nation's capital. Right. But, you know, my heart is always in Granite, and I have to say hello to everybody in Granite City and uh, those who uh, live there now and those who have lived there. Yes. I've, Peter has won, gosh, who knows how many awards, including the 2019 Walter Cronkite Faith and Freedom Award. And he's here to talk about a, a number of things that he's doing, including, I was, when you told me this, I was very surprised, kayaking somewhere on a river? Right, yeah, you know, uh, that was fun. Just last week, uh, I went uh, kayaking on the Potomac River in Charles County, Maryland, Johnny, a place called Mallows Bay, M-A-L-L-O-W-S Bay, in uh, Charles County, Maryland, very historic area. The weather was cold. Uh, I, for some reason, hit it on the coldest day so far this year. It was 39 degrees when we ventured out. The water was uh, choppy, but wow, uh, what an experience. Uh, Mallows Bay uh, on the Potomac uh, is a, a national marine sanctuary, and the watery home of uh, what is known as the Ghost Fleet. Uh, more than a, a very strange chapter in history, Johnny. Uh, more than 100 World War I-era wooden steamships hmm. were scuttled there after World War I. Uh, the war ended. Many of these ships uh, uh, could not have been put into service before the war ended. Uh, some did find some other ports of call, but they were coal-fired. Oh and they were quickly outdated at, at that point in history. And uh, over the years, they'd, they'd bring these boats to this bay off the Potomac and just scuttle them there, and they burn them down to the water line. And uh, much of the remaining uh, metal was salvaged uh, from the 1920s all the way through the 40s. I know you love history. That's quite and, a history. Uh, that is. Yeah, and now the, the neat thing is uh, these old shipwrecks have become uh, amazing marine habitats. And uh, I looked into the water and saw an abundance of fish. Uh, there was evidence of beavers. And the, for me, the best part was seeing bald eagles uh, flying around over in the, in the towering trees. It was, I have to tell you, though, it was just kind of eerie to float over uh, the ghost ships of Mallows Bay. It would be. How many ships did you say? Well, um, they said that uh, there were over 100 ships oh. that were uh, scuttled there, dumped. Uh, and some of them, you know, you can you can see the outlines of the ships, mm -hmm. but it's all greenery. It's it's trees and plants, and uh, you know, all kinds of uh, just different types of wildlife that now make their homes in this uh, amazing place, not too far from Washington D.C. Now, you know, where are there a lot of people doing this kayaking? Well, there were only uh, two others in the the group that I was with that day. Again, it was kind of cold and kind of rough. Yeah. And uh, but it was it was just quite an experience. I hope to do it again sometime. You didn't fall in the water, I hope. Oh no, uh, I did not. Uh, the <laughs> the guides gave us quite a scary uh, safety briefing. Of course, we were outfitted from waist to neck with uh, you know with uh, life jackets. Mm -hmm. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, we we made it through uh, high and dry. 
But I saw a photograph uh, that included you and several people from uh, CBS Radio, a person that we heard many, many times, as we have heard you many countless times on KMOX, Bill Plant, who passed away. Now, yeah. uh, was that for a memorial for Bill? Yes, it was uh, what his family called uh, a funeral mass and reflections, and uh, it was quite moving. Bill and I were were very close friends, and uh, I think most people, uh, you know, remember Bill for being an anchor on the weekend news on uh, CBS on TV and uh, a well-known voice on radio. I know he was on KMOX many times over the years, Um, and Bill died at the age of 84, uh, last month, and uh, we gathered, we being his family and close friends, for something of a reunion at uh, Holy Trinity Church in Georgetown. Quite a historic church, by the way. It's where John F. Kennedy uh, was a parishioner, and Bill worshiped there uh, for many years. Uh, and, and in his homily, uh, the Reverend Gregory Shendon uh, really talked for many of us, Johnny. Uh, he remembered Bill as a voice of justice, truth, and integrity. This was a man who, you know, to me, was a living history book. Uh, he was at Selma uh, for the, the famous march uh, over the Edmund Pettus Bridge and, and did a famous interview that was played over and over again uh, in Bill's ob- air, uh, on the air obituary with uh, Martin Luther King. And uh, he covered the Vietnam War, and, and Bill and I traveled the world together uh, covering presidents from Jimmy Car- from I'm sorry from uh, when did Bill come to the White House from uh, Bill Clinton to uh, Barack Obama he was at the State Department before that mm-hmm. so um, it was you know just quite a remembrance and uh, uh, just a very warm tribute to Bill who were some of the CBS people that were there oh my gosh now you're going to uh, turn me into something of a proud name dropper. Uh, <laughs> Leslie Stahl was there, my friend Bob Schieffer. Oh, yeah. uh, these were people who sat in the White House booth with Bill, uh, the current anchor and, and managing editor of the uh, CBS Evening News. My friend Nora O'Donnell was there. Um, Nancy Cordes, who covers the White House for oh, CBS yeah, sure. now. Um, we, uh, Stephen Portnoy, who succeeded me on the White House beat for CBS News Radio. And uh, Jim Axelrod, another good friend who... You know, we were all, I call us all, students of Bill. Uh, mm-hmm. Bill Plant was our mentor and just a beloved friend. Now, uh, Peter Mayer is who we're uh, speaking with on KMOX, uh, his his home away from home in St. Louis. Bill Plant, now what happens to the person who has had this background? He must have collected a lot of materials or uh, articles or re- recordings of his work. Uh, do you know what would happen to something like that? Did he donate these to anyone? Well, Bill's alma mater was Loyola in in Chicago, mm-hmm. and there is a uh, a chair. I wish I had the exact title of it, but it's it's really a, a wonderful uh, professorial chair uh, that Bill uh, dedicated to. And uh, so I would imagine that a lot of things uh, went to Loyola. Bill never wrote a book. Uh, he just when I asked him about it, I, you know, I, I went to visit him a number of times at his home. Uh, over the uh, well, just over the years since he retired, um, and uh, you know he he was just a very modest guy. But one of the things I envied about Bill was he kept every single script oh that he that he used over the years, and he had them filed. Oh my! Goodness. And uh, what a treasure! You know, yes, it it is a treasure, 
and I'll have to, you know, check with his wife, Robin, and find out uh, what, uh, you know, what will be the ultimate destination for Bill's scripts. And I'll tell you another thing about Bill um, is that no one, and it was mentioned at his uh, reflection service, no one ever knew where Bill stood on politics. Interesting. And yeah, yeah. And I, I hope uh, that, you know, the same could be said for me while I was working. Uh, and just for anyone who's, you know, on the air and in, in being, a, you know, a straight, uh, hopefully as objective as one can be reporter. But yeah, Bill, Bill never talked politics. And I never talked politics with him or anyone else. And, and, uh, and uh, he, he certainly did not. Um, the, uh, the former president of CBS News, a wonderful person, Susan Zarinsky, uh, spoke at the service, and she recalled his, uh, she said, lifetime of courageous acts, including that civil rights coverage. And, and Susan said, you know, that Bill was just totally shocked at the raw hatred that he witnessed at the Selma March and other moments in the South. And, you know, as I told you the other day, Johnny, they, they mentioned that before Bill became a network correspondent, uh, he grew up in Chicago, in the Rogers Park neighborhood of Chicago. He had never ventured farther than St. Louis in his travels, mm-hmm. and here was a guy who later traveled the nation and the world. Sure. Interesting. Can you hold on yeah. for just a couple of minutes? We have sure. some uh, announcements to make. We'll be right sure. back with right. Peter Mayer here in KMOX. This is Johnny Rabbit. We're at your service. Johnny Rabbit, Ratchet Service, and with us is Peter Mayer on the phone from way back east. When are you coming to St. Louis again, Peter? Well, I hope to be there sometime before the end of the year. We haven't quite firmed up travel plans yet, but you know I'll be calling uh, you and Mrs. Rabbit when I come to town, that's oh, for sure. Correct. I treasure my friendship with you. <laughs> well, thank you. We feel the same way. And, you know, I, we were talking about Bill Plant's archives. What about yours? Do you plan to do anything with your collection of materials? Well, you know what? I took a, a lot of it to SIU Edwardsville, my oh. alma mater, and uh, they have a number of my passes and scripts and uh, other uh, memorabilia, and uh, I just hope that, uh, in all modesty, that it will, you know, inspire some, some of the uh, mass comm students, journalism students, um, economics majors, uh, and others at that fine school to, to know that, uh, you know, the sky's the limit. Isn't that the truth? It's, it is the limit. That's all. I mean, you just have to go ahead and do it. Now, you're doing something that I didn't think you were going to do anymore. You're going to be back on the radio. Well, yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, Craig Swagler, the uh, VP for uh, CBS News Radio, called me a couple of weeks ago and uh, invited me to be what they call a CBS News contributor for election night coverage, midterm uh, election night coverage. So, I'll be, uh, you know, brewing a, a pot of very strong tea and fastening my seatbelt like everyone else to see how things turn out on election night. Uh, 7 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern time will be, uh, you know, on the job. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's quite a shift. Now, you don't have to go anywhere. You can stay home, can't you? Well, that's right. I'll be right here in the D.C. area doing that. I, I don't have to go up to the broadcast center in New York this time. But, oh. you know, my first... Uh, I was just thinking, Johnny, my first uh, coverage, election night coverage, was in 1968 oh, for WIBV in Belleville. And uh, I, was, I was sent to the Madison County Courthouse in Edwardsville. And I'll tell you, I have had the political and election night bug ever since and covered many campaigns over the years. But it, it all started there. 
Well, what a, what a history. What a, what a great thing to be doing it again. I'm glad they called you back for this. And I'm sure we'll Thank be you. hearing you on KMOX, I would imagine. I hope so. I hope so. It's, and and I, before I forget, I really have to commend the management of KMOX for having this weekend at your service and, and the way they've gone with the local programming uh, all through the week. It, it's just wonderful, and I'm sorry to say there are a few stations that are doing it. Oh, I'm sorry about that, too. Well, Peter, thank you. Thank you for that, and thank you so much for being with us. We'll talk to you, I hope, soon. Thank you so much for having me on with you, Johnny, on KMOX. All right. There is Peter Mayer. This is Johnny Rabbit. We are at your service. And uh, there's a lot of people want books. It was an interesting thing. We were at the uh, University City Farmer's Market yesterday, a very cute place. Had some wonderful pastries and coffee and some vegetarian chili. And I saw University City Library had a table that said free books. One side was free books. The other side, books that you could rent from the library. Not rent, but uh, borrow from the library. A very nice idea. Speaking of books, a lot of people want to collect them, and I know a really good book sale. It's the Mercantile Library book sale. They do it a couple of times a year, and this one's coming up Tuesday, the 1st of November. Hopefully the weather will be nice. They say rain or shine, but they're going to be doing it right at the Umsel. It'll be on the West Parking Lot, uh, the garage actually there, uh, outside of the West Parking Garage, on actually on the sidewalk so they have enough room and that will be, that's where Umsel is located, so it's the north campus. So if you were coming, say, from the inner belt, you'd go past Hanley, make the first left into Umsel, and a couple of buildings down, there'll be, you'll see the book sale there. The soft cover books are two bucks, hardbacks are three bucks, and they, they really have an unusually good book sale, and they have some very interesting books. I mean, you talk about very interesting. At the, at the library... This is one that they have come up with. I, I don't have time to read all of it, but this is just the front cover. Now, listen to this. This is a book perfect for Halloween. Um, it's, it's not going to be in the book sale. I know that. It's from 1885, and it's called The Dark and Mysterious Places of St. Louis. The whole story, this is what it says. This is a quote told about the dark and mysterious places such as the levee at midnight, which is right now a very dark and mysterious place, the Secrets of the River, Mysteries of the Morgue, of Biddle Street Dives, Kerry Patch and Clabber Alley, the Opium Joints of St. Louis in the city, and let's oh, and the subtitle is Gilded Sin and Naked Mice. Well, and again, that's an 1885 book. I'm sure you can take a look at it if you go to the Mercantile Library, one of my favorite places, and I am on the board of the library and art museum there. Uh, they're at the University of Missouri St. Louis campus in the Thomas Jefferson Library building. The library, the Mercantile, is underneath that uh, pyramid that's there. You may be familiar with that, right by the parking garage. The best time to go there if you want to visit is a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday because there are a lot of spaces in the parking lot or parking building. Well, Pam and John Phillips sent a very nice note. says, Hi, Johnny Rabbit. This is Pam. My husband and I met you at Josephine's Tea Room some years ago, and we went to a couple of your wonderful talks at the Missouri History Museum about Route 66 with our friend Rich Henry of Route 66 Rabbit Ranch, one of my favorite places. She said, I had my Barbie autograph book to show you at Josephine's with your autograph in it from when you uh, did that for me and when our Girl Scout troop went to KXOK back in the 60s. That's great. I just wanted to reach out, tell you how much I enjoy you on KMOX every Sunday in the morning from 8.50 to 9, thereabouts. 
And just hearing your voice makes me smile. You're refreshing to hear the things you know. I hope you get this email, and I have, and I will respond to that as well. And that's very nice of people to to say that they're listening and also to remember the past. But there's some scary stuff at Halloween, but it doesn't get any scarier than what I'm just going to tell you a little bit about, and I'm going to tell more about this next week. The story started when World War I, excuse me, World War II came to an end following the A-bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and the world breathed a collective sigh of relief in the sincere belief that the atomic bomb, which was exclusively then in the arsenal of the United States of America, would deter the bad guys and keep the free world free and safe. In a few years to help ensure this, America developed a thermonuclear weapon called the hydrogen bomb and tested the first H-bomb in 1952. But the Soviet Union, that had been one of our allies in the big war, had other schemes and other dreams, and they too came up with A-bombs and H-bombs, and since they had turned against us, the Cold War was underway. In November 1957, a study called the Gaither Report alerted our president at the time, Dwight David Eisenhower, to a realistic worst-case scenario that there was the potential threat of nuclear war with the USSR, and if this unthinkable concept occurred, the report suggested what could be done to help protect our civilian population and infrastructure. The conclusion was that passive defenses such as fallout shelters and air raid sirens might be utilized, even though the study stated such things would likely be borderline effective at best, but psychologically they would create the appearance of a semblance of protection to the public. Plus, the report advised that great amounts of, of literature would be released to the public, uh, freely distributed, on how to hopefully live following a nuclear attack. The ideas uh, were definitely unrealistic, but the fear of panic needed to be addressed. Printed materials provided such reassuring things as if the bomb falls and you're outdoors, jump into any convenient ditch or gutter or bury your face in your arms. Also, don't rush outside right after a bombing and radiation sickness is not always fatal. There's a part two to this program that brings it up to date. We will get to that when we meet next week. But right now, uh, we're going to hear a little music that I'd like to play for you. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. This is a very special so. In the past two 
few days, actually, just a few days, we lost two noted musicians who were very different in style from each other, though both were pianists. One was the internationally known Jerry Lee Lewis, who a KMOX listener, Jim Gribben, said used to hear him many times at a dive bar in Memphis called Hernando's Hideaway. The other, who we're hearing right now, was the locally renowned jazz pianist Dave Venn, who many may recall from places such as Jazz Central, the Playboy Club, the Chase Park Plaza Hotel, Jazz at the Bistro, Gaslight Square and several locations there, and so many more. Dave Venn passed away in Phoenix this week, this past week, after a long illness. We're lucky that there were some recordings made of his work, and there are performances, too, on YouTube. This is a sample of a selection made from his album called One, Two, Three, that includes Steve Schenkel and Jay Hungerford. It's Dave Venn and piano, and the song is I Thought About You. Well, our uh, Johnny Rabbit at Your Service program will be back next Sunday, November 6th, from 1 to 3, and our uh, first guest that we have booked will have more. That's going to be Dr. Jody Sowell. Jody is the new executive director of the Missouri Historical Society. It's quite a job, and of course they uh, overview the Soldiers Memorial, as we talked about earlier today, uh, with that director, Mark Sunlove. Um, so uh, we'll have some other guests as well. We'll talk about them during the week, and I'll see you on the radio. We'll be back on uh, next Sunday, Sunday morning, and that will be a, a little special feature. I'm not quite sure what we're going to be talking about yet. We try to come up with something that we hope will be of interest to you, and that's at 8.50 on Sunday morning. And then we'll be back next week from 1 to 3 with At Your Service. The following week, it's going to be a Chiefs game at this time, so we're not going to be around then, but hopefully the week after that. I'll let you know. But this is At Your Service, and I sure appreciate your being here. I'm Johnny Rabbit, and we're on KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.